All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Oh, wow, you came from Canada? That's a long way. Gosh, I can't believe you've come all this way for a conference. Oh, my God, all the way from Canada? No. All the way from Toronto for the weekend? Oh, you picked the best conference? Fantastic. You came all the way from Canada? Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment. A story to share. Send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English Podcast. This is Andrew. I'm Leo. This is Mike. And we're all back together today. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Pretty good. Leo, you still tired from the trip? What's wrong, Leo? Yeah. No, I'm not tired from the trip anymore. I'm just, uh, I'm just um, tired from, uh, from this, from tired of the weather. I would say, um, <laughs> waiting for some, uh, for some sun, so I can actually go outside and practice some, some sports. Right on. Spring, spring in Canada is not as majestic as it is in other places of the world. No, that's for sure. Hopefully, you're not tired of learning. I don't think we ever get tired of learning. We'll do our shameless plug here quickly, guys. Thinkific, we have our new course, Grammar for Teachers Online, lyenetwork.thinkific.com. If you haven't checked it out, check it out over there. Uh, today, a very special topic, and we're revisiting Leo and I's trip to Barcelona really quickly with one specific topic in mind. That is responsibility, but maybe not in a way that we normally think about it. Leo, are you a responsible person? I am a responsible person, but I think the topic of that um, talk by Angie Maldres was, um, I think it was, the, the title was Developing Response Ability. Ah. So, yeah, so it's moving away from, from responsibility, but breaking it down into two words, right? Responsibility, the ability to respond. So wait a minute, not responsibility, responsibility. Yes. Mm. There's actually a quote by Jimmy Hill. That's how I know this um, quotation. I think that's from, uh, and I think it's from the lexical approach, where he says that a teacher's responsibility is his or her response ability. And I remember having this conversation with, with Angie and asking her um, about that maxim. And she said that it's one of her favorites um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Leo, you actually had the chance to go and attend her session in Barcelona, didn't you? Yes. Um, yeah, it, was a, it was a very good session, very hands-on. Um, we talked a little bit before the session and we, we had a conversation after. Um, I think what we basically talked about was this, the maxim, right? The idea that a teacher's responsibility is his or her responsibility. Before I talk a little bit more about this session, 
I want to ask you both, what, how do you guys feel about this quote? What is it? What kind of emotions does it comes to mind? What, what comes to mind when you think about this idea of the teacher's responsibility is his or her responsibility? I, mean, I think it, it speaks to us attending to our students, those who are in our class, right? We talk a lot on this podcast about teaching the students, not teaching the lesson, right? So I think I, that's what I think of as our responsibility is to respond to what actually is happening in the class and not sticking to what I had necessarily planned to happen if it's not happening in the classroom. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. And then I perhaps even add that... Um, it's also about accountability across the larger community. So the three of us are in EAP classes. So there's a level of um, specialized language that we need to make sure we're including into our classroom. So some of it is learner centeredness, dealing with the issues particular individual learners are having and um, gaps that we need to fill, but also making sure that our assessment design and our materials are also preparing them for the real world once they've moved on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Beautiful. that's basically yeah. That's basically what she um, she was prepared to, to talk about. Um, I think one of the, the things she said in her sessions was um, she she emphasized that it is the teacher's duty to respond to the ongoing minute by minute learning needs of the students, and it goes back to what Andrew said: this idea of really reactive teaching as opposed to prescriptive teaching. But she also um, is of the opinion that in order for teachers to do so, they need to know what these are. And one of one important source of information would be the feedback that the students are giving the teacher all the time in response to, to the teaching. But again, this can only happen if the teacher notices it. So you, you might be thinking, okay, so you have ears and you have eyes, what's the big deal? So the whole session was about hoping, uh, it was about raising awareness of the many potential barriers to teachers noticing as well as to why it matters. And again, she suggested a few ways um, teachers can become better noticers. Um, my question to both of you is, what is your, uh, what is the difference? Let's think about in terms of defining these terms. What is the difference uh, between observing and noticing? both of you well I'll, I'll be cheating a bit because i i was there and I, I did talk to her i did hear the interview that we did with her but mike why don't we throw it to you first so you, you can jump in there well i think one one seems to me i mean more passive than the other maybe observing is the idea of of witnessing um uh, you you uh, uh, and, and uh, sorry a speech act happens in the class or you you yeah. see it um and uh it the, the message or the activity continues on versus noticing something where um, that same speech act occurs, but you're noticing that it actually is uh, showing you a gap in perhaps the, the uh, learner's ability to express their message or to complete the task per se. So I, I don't know, maybe one is, one is more being present, whereas the other one is being supportive. Um, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that, <laughs> that that sounds well. There, I guess there's there's no answer. We'll hear from her in a, in a bit here what she said. But um, again, my answer is kind of cheating because I, I was there when she was talking to us. But I think I would say you know it, it's a message of one being what we can call you know prescribed teaching, only looking for what we want to look for, what we think will happen versus. Uh, and to throw in the, the dogma language here versus maybe maybe if we're talking if dogma talks about emergent language 
what Angie is talking about is emergent teaching, where we don't know what's going to happen when we go into the classroom and we react to it. We notice what happens naturally throughout our session or throughout our workshop, as opposed to looking for things that we think will happen and then only limiting ourselves to look or observe for those things. Well, it goes back to the um, CELTA. I don't know if you guys remember this, but in the CELTA, they had this um, component of lesson planning where teachers were expected to anticipate problems. But again, you can't really um, anticipate problems, but you could try to perhaps anticipate opportunities where language might emerge. And again, you have to be able to um, notice those things. But one of the things I want to say first before we jump into into um, her interview is the definition of observation is actually the active acquisition of information from a primary source. So again, mm. it is active. So you're acquiring information from a primary source. In this case, it would be, um, in our case, it would be the students, right? So observation employs the senses. So um, you have to notice signs that the learners are giving us, right? And those signs usually come from um, body language, their actions. And these little things are somewhat telling us or alerting us to their learning needs. Sometimes they're bored, sometimes they're not engaged. So what we have to do in the classroom as we are, as we teach is to somewhat adjust and respond to those signs. Um, and I think that's, it goes back to the idea of noticing. We can only do those things if we, if we notice. And I think that's where a lot of people in the session were a little surprised because noticing is what strikes us, what we pay attention to and observation is what is when we intend to notice. So good. I wonder if she. Okay. And I, I wasn't in the session again. I wonder if she gave some analogies. I'm just thinking about like today. It's a rainy day. Am I noticing that it's raining, or am I observing that it's raining? You know, am I am I looking for the rain, or am I? It's raining, so I naturally, you know, see that it's. I notice that it's raining, and maybe therefore I observe that the person walking is getting wet. I don't know. Is, is that a, you think that's an apropos analogy or am I off base there? It's a good question. Yeah. To me, it's it was hard for me to actually come to terms with the difference between noticing and observing because it, I think there's subtlety in the meaning there cuz to me observation, observing it's something that you notice when you're watching someone, right? So in the definition of observation is something that you notice. So mm -hmm. For you to or, know, or at least that it's actively, all right. Like yes. at least that you're, yes. you're you're engaged. Yep. It's not as simple as seeing something. You're observing yes. something means you're analyzing it. You're mm -hmm. processing it in some way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. However, noticing is maybe, hmm, uh, the the response stage. I don't know. Is, I, I, is it is it where it becomes um, you res you're responding to it. You're you're starting to think of a strategy, perhaps to. To, to deal with what you're observing? <laughs> That's, yeah. Are you... it, I think, going back to Andrew's question, I think noticing is, it's what happens to us as human beings. So what we're paying attention to. And observation is when we intend to notice and then we set out to try to notice. It's more intentional. So there is a reason for us to be observing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of the... Uh... Ah. But she's not, she's not saying that... Um, we're predicting, well, we're going to listen to her, uh, her interview soon, but she's not saying that she's predicting or anticipating potential mistakes and then noticing that they are making those mistakes. Well, I think first she needs to observe 
right? right? So she's observing. She's basically trying to notice some sort of reaction from the students, and then she can um, develop her response ability. I remember her saying something that really um, struck a chord with me was when she said that you can't review if you haven't seen it the first time. Mm-hmm. I think her session was really, really interesting, and I really enjoyed talking to her because we talk about language awareness a lot on this podcast as well, and, and as a company, and about raising learners' awareness of the language. What she did for me, and Leo, maybe she did the same thing for you, she really raised my awareness of what I should be noticing, observing, looking for, etc. in the mm-hmm. classroom. Because she had these right. mi- minute, seemingly minute, but really not minute, distinctions between different terms, observation, noticing. And another mm-hmm. one was was feedback, right? She really mm-hmm. had a, a different yeah. definition of the word feedback that I hadn't considered before, hadn't heard of before. And she took issue with uh, teachers giving feedback. She says teachers almost never give feedback. Do you remember that? Yes, yes. I think she mentioned that the kind of feedback that we're giving is most of the time um, grammatical feedback, um, but we're not really giving them the kind of feedback that will help them um, process learning. And I think it goes back, and Mike, you will probably remember this, the noticing hypothesis in uh, second language acquisition, which I believe was proposed by Schmidt in in the early 90s, saying that a learner cannot learn a very specific grammatical item unless they notice them. Of course, noticing alone doesn't necessarily mean that the learners will automatically acquire the language. Rather, the hypothesis basically states that noticing is an essential starting point for acquisition. And I think if we were to draw an analogy here with what uh, Angie was saying is, in order for us to react to what students are producing or what students are doing in the classroom, we need to first notice and then the notice becomes subconscious to some degree and then we can move on and and respond to it yeah or or inform future teaching Mm -hmm. practice right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting all right well enough from us i suppose let's talk to the expert let's uh let's listen to we leo and i actually had the chance to sit down with angie and uh on the topic of after her session of reactability, responsibility, noticing, observing, and many other things as a a synopsis and an expansion on her session. So here's the interview, guys, with Dr. Angie Malderez. I hope you enjoy it. How to pronounce your last name? Malderez? Malderez. Malderez. Anglicized, although I can't explain. So I'm here with Angie, Angie Malderes, who um, presented a wonderful session this morning on noticing. And she started with uh, a quote by, well, I mean, to me, I thought it was a quote by Peter Wolberg, but we actually, we talked about it, and it probably goes back to the 70s. And what's the quote? A teacher's responsibility is his, her, responsibility. So would you like to elaborate a little bit more on that? And how do you think that this idea of the teacher's responsibility is this responsibility in the classroom? What is the main role of the teacher in the classroom? Well, actually, I think there are two main roles, really, because it's about creating conditions for language learning. And for me, synthesizing, and I could have said that in the session, but I didn't, um, synthesizing various aspects of research, I think there are only three essential conditions for language learning. The first is exposure. Um, Kids have, or people, have to see and hear a language. The second is opportunities to use the language meaningfully for their own purposes. And the third is 
motivation, if you like, but the desire to learn the language. So, exposure, exposure, Motiv use, and motivation. And motivation. Those are the three conditions we have to set. Sounds easy. Very difficult. <laughs> but also going back to the responsibility, because my definition of a teacher is someone who supports learning. Then I. Huh. Sorry to interrupt you here, but yeah. when you say to support learning, so you, would you say that a teacher is more of a facilitator in this case? Someone who facilitates learning, who, who fosters learning in the classroom, would that be something? Yes, I, yeah. it's partly that, okay. and it's partly connected to the motivation mm. essential condition, Okay. Uh, but the other two essential conditions too. Um, so yeah, a teacher is not a teller. A teacher is someone who supports learner. A teacher may be a sharer of ideas or an explainer as and when it's necessary. So I would go back to the notion of scaffolding. And the notion of scaffolding, when you look more deeply at the notion of scaffolding, you find there are various scaffolding moves, like break a process down into steps, um, don't do it for the learner, the learner has to do it. Uh, explain when and if necessary, but not otherwise, when they need it, yeah. you know, provide clues, all that kind of, all those kinds of scaffolding moves. But in terms of our responsibility to know which of those moves to use, we have to, and, and what to do in any one given moment in class when you're in the middle of spinning thousands of other plates, um, we got to notice the signs of the feedback our students are giving us all the time. Right. And how do we notice those signs? Well, you see, people will say to me, <laughs> I could check with you, really, couldn't I? Because you were at the session. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I should. Well, you put it into, I didn't attend, I went to another session. So I, I heard yes. that you divided it into two parts. You observe first, and then you notice later. Is that correct? No. No? We talked, okay. we talked about the difference between observing and noticing. noticing. Okay. Right. And the difference, but... but the di my understanding of the two, which is why I wanted to check that we were sharing understanding yeah. of the terms. Um, noticing is, is natural, it's human, it's what happens to us, it's what strikes us, um, it's what we pay conscious attention to in any context. Observation is when we tr set out to try to notice stuff. Doesn't mean we will. Okay. Okay. And. And it seems ridiculous to make a big fuss about noticing because it's humans and humans do it all the time. But there are real barriers to our noticing and we explored some of those. Can you give us one example? I remember those blinkers, you actually mentioned six of them. Yes. And I remember the, I think the first one you mentioned was the ice skating. I yes. I think that was fascinating. Would you like to elaborate a little bit more okay. on that? Okay, so I, I was describing how I love watching ice dance in the um, Olympic Games, for yeah. example. And I watched this beautiful couple come out and gorgeous costumes and lovely figures on the women that really make me envious and they dance around and twirl and, and their lifts and they don't fall over mm -hmm. and then the judges hold up marks and then the next couple comes out and dances around and twirls and doesn't fall over either and the judges hold up completely different marks and I don't know why I assume it's because I didn't notice something now why didn't I notice something and we identified it was because I just don't know enough about it. Right. So 
the point for us as teachers is the more we, we know about it, our job, the language and teaching, the more we ought to be able to notice things. For example, from the ELT context, I never used to mark written pieces of written work for my students paying any attention whatsoever to the coherence of the written piece because I didn't know about it mm -hmm. until I read Guy Cook's book on discourse in 1980, whatever it was, and then I could notice coherence and comment on it and compliment people on yeah. it. I, I honestly, I agree with everything that you said. One of the things that I like to say, and we talk a lot about this in our industry, is that teachers don't know enough to know that they don't know enough. Ah, okay. So. My question to you is, how can teachers know more? What can they do to become better nurses? How can they improve and uh, maybe work on those skills in the classroom so they can actually give more appropriate feedback, so they can scaffold learning? What would you suggest? What would you recommend? Okay, first of all, can I take you up on that word, yes. giving, a pr giving feedback? Mm. I think teachers rarely give feedback. Mm because feedback is only given by a receiver of an action and it, it is not very often, well, it can happen, mm. that, but what people usually mean by when they say give feedback is assess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The origin, yes. And, and tell them what they did right or wrong in it. Yeah. That's assessing. Um, Anyway, how can they get become better noticers? Yes, that was the. Yeah, the okay, of but the there are several other yeah. barriers. But becoming better noticers, keeping a noticing journal, sharing it with others, so that you can see whether or not you've noticed um, same uh, same things over time, mm -hmm. or different things from your. Oh, you're you're noticing. Uh, you're mentioning in your description that you saw what every student had written at that moment. So you're noticing their production in class. I, you know, I haven't written about that and actually I don't do, you know, so there are various things. Or you're talking about the naughty boys all the time. Um, what about the good girls, the quiet, you know, the good quiet girls? Are you noticing them? Are you giving them the attention they deserve? or whatever, you know, is the examples I was using. Uh, reading more, coming to conferences, knowing more about stuff will enable you to know, know more about things. From the teapots example, <laughs> we know that if we try to set ourselves to notice, we have a better chance of doing so, although we still may not be able to. That's um, difficult. It is difficult. It is difficult. If it's in your head, you, you'll, you'll be getting closer to being able to notice something, but it doesn't mean you will, because nobody in my room, even after I've mentioned teapots, yeah. although they all thought that was an instruction to try to notice teapots, which it wasn't, <laughs> I was just planting an That's idea. True. That's true. <laughs> um, nobody in the room noticed the teapots, but they did notice things closer to where you might expect to find a teapot. Anyway. Brain is a funny thing, isn't it? Brain is a very funny Noticing thing. things that sometimes we don't think we would notice, and then notice, and then when we are notice, trying to notice one thing, we only focus on that, and then we don't notice everything else that's around. Exactly that, yeah, exactly yeah. that. And then the other one is the familiar and unfamiliar things. You don't notice familiar things. 
so periodically make the classroom strange again. Uh, ah, I like that. You know, making, making was, strange. Somebody wrote about making strange. John Fenselow, 1982, yeah, that's right. Breaking a, Rules. That's the one. Yes. That's, that's where I got the make. You see, thank you for knowing. That's yes. exactly right. Um, so the making strange. Things, whispering, yeah. you know, doing things differently, moving around moving the classroom, around the classroom yes. teaching from the back, changing the desks, changing, you know, trying to move the students, you, and then you, you'll notice again. Hmm. Well, Angie. Yes, dear. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. For your account and for for helping us and for you know speaking in our podcast. Andrew, yeah. Do you have any? I think this is fantastic. Thank you very much. You're and very welcome. I've noticed a lot of things in your. <laughs> your I should speech. ask you about those afterwards. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hi, this is Yuki from Japan. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. All right, and thank you very much to Dr. Angie Maldarez for giving us that soundbite. Uh, blinkers, a good word, another one that I hadn't heard before before talking or speaking with her. Uh, the ice skating blinker, I guilty of that as well. I guess most people are. If you're not an ice skating fan, uh, I watch them all the time in the Olympics, at least, and I never notice anything different between the two groups, unless, of course, as she alludes to, if somebody falls down.、Um, but they all get different marks, so clearly I'm missing something.、Uh, <laughs> We're all missing something. <laughs>、uh, Leo, there's other blinkers that we need to be aware of as teachers as well, right? Yeah, she talks a little bit about、uh, the barriers for noticing. She, I think, she mentioned、uh, John Mason, who is very keen on the idea of researching your own practice. And she talked about three scenarios. The first one, when it doesn't register at all, even if asked you a blank, you're like, I don't know.、Um, when it registers, but we don't give any conscious attention to, maybe you can tell me more about it. And it registers, and we mark it, and then we can, you know, remark on it. So basically, what you notice is what you see and hear, and therefore you can act upon it. Right.、Oh. I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No.、Uh, no. I just as you were as you were going through those, it's a.、Uh, it kind of. I've always been a fan of maybe just you know recording your yourself teaching because、mm-hmm. sometimes you just don't notice it, right? Like yes, it's, it's a freaky thing. It's like recording a podcast. You don't know how strange your voice sounds until you、mm-hmm. actually record one, <laughs> and then、it. and then you notice it, right? So, and I when I was in Japan as a director of studies, I, I you know you see the progression, right? When when teachers are new to the to the field,、um, they they tend to miss things that their、mm. students. Or mistakes, or 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 teaching opportunities to give support、um, because they're just not looking for it. They, as Andrew said earlier, they're 
they're they're they're not aware that it's actually mm-hmm. happening because they they don't have the experience or they're just um not there yet in in terms of their career development right but it, i don't think it's it's not a criticism either right it's, no, it's an opportunity no. it's, it's, it's an opportunity absolutely if yeah. i to extend the analogy if i wanted to figure out the intricacies of olympic ice dance i certainly could use the internet and look it up i'm not yeah. that into it so i i don't but if i wanted to the opportunity is there for me to do it and then the next time i watched olympic ice dance surely I would notice one or two things that I didn't notice yeah. before. So I think that's Angie's point, I think, right? Yeah. And that's the first blinker, the reasons why we not we might not notice. You, you use the example of the ice skating. I'm going to use a simple, simple example, but also uh, timely, uh, the fencing. Remember they were having a fencing competition? Yes. And it was actually the World they, Championships, wasn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> And again, we see the, the the judges holding up the marks, and people are poking each other with their swords. And but <laughs> I don't every, think poking is the technical term. It's not really the word, yeah. So you said, <laughs> I don't know. But again, uh, they they get different marks. But we, we the reason why we don't know here is because we just don't know enough about it. Mm-hmm, and I right. think the analogy here would be with writing. When we're marking students' writing, we're marking mostly the grammar but we're not really noticing the coherence because if you don't understand how coherence works in english you can't focus on that or if you don't know if you're not familiar with say some of the macro patterns and you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to provide that uh, support um, yes when the students need it uh, it's it's very interesting and um i really like there was another analogy the swan analogy mm. oh yeah how um, uh, <laughs> yeah the teachers you look at a swan and you think it's majestic because it's you know moving along the water and it's beautiful but what you don't see it's what's underneath what's what's happening down the water they're paddling underneath and the feet the feet their feet is going like crazy because right. they're paddling they're they're making it's the same thing with teachers like what, when we're in the classroom and we're again we're using our responsibility we are basically making decisions. We are noticing behavior. We're thinking about what's going to happen next. We're looking for um, affordances, right? Right. Where language could become um, the next uh, point of focus in that lesson. Um, she talked about the second blinker, which I thought was interesting, but I'm going to ask you both, which is the, the getting up in the morning. What is the first thing you noticed this morning when you both woke up? Oh, oh how, how cozy, how cozy <laughs> my... Uh my sheets were and that I did not want to leave the bed today. Yeah. I, I noticed that I didn't have to get up right away. So that was uh, nice. <laughs> so it's very difficult for you to notice that because notice, first of all, noticing is different for everyone. What I notice first thing in the morning is going to be very different from what Mike and you, Andrew notice, but we only notice things which are meaningful to us. We don't notice the familiar because you get up every morning in the same bed in the same room. So you don't notice those things, right? Um, but we do notice what's strange, what's different. We notice the pink elephant amongst the herd of gray elephants. Mm-hmm. We notice things which are familiar. For example, when you sleep in a hotel or you sleep at someone else's house, you notice different things, right? Right. And that's why you get more tired when you travel because your brain is constantly noticing new things. So my question to both of you is, what is easier to notice in the classroom? What's easier to notice is, yeah. well, I think what, what Angie was talking about is easier to notice things that are always the same, things that are yes. comfortable, things that, are, that that don't change. So I think, as mm-hmm. we heard her say, she recommended 
you know, every now and then changing the seating arrangement, yes. not where the students sit per se, but how, you know, you're, you're, if you have a group of four, make it a group of three, change this table to that table, change this chair to that chair, mm-hmm. not for any pedagogical reason per se, but just so you give yourself a better opportunity to actually notice things in the classroom, because you, as you say, Leo, you change the environment a little bit. Yeah. Right. Which is um, interesting. And, and I, I yeah. agree with the, the getting tired part. Uh, I think that's a, why a lot of people who are not teachers view teaching as a, uh, you know, look at teachers who, who are always saying that they're tired and say, how are you tired? You only worked for four hours today or whatever. Um, oh, my gosh. And, and those types of misconceptions. Just, well, it's as, the swan, uh, right? as we were thinking about the swan there, I was just thinking about, oh, my gosh, I could finally explain this to my partner that like, that uh, when I come <laughs> home at the end of a long day of teaching that I don't just do not want to speak. <laughs> right. And I read, I came across an article yesterday. Not that, that I'm doing a lot of talking. It's just a lot of processing. No, right? it's mental, yeah. right? And there was an article that I came across yesterday and it said that teachers make on average over 2,000 decisions in mm-hmm. every, not every day, every right. day when they're teaching. Every day I when they're, that. so that's about five to six decisions every minute. Think about that. Yeah. And depending yeah. on your level of awareness and noticing and responsibility, you might be making a little more. And hence the fact that we are exhausted mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, I suppose that says a lot about us. Eh? <laughs> it's all about and us. our audience, of course. <laughs> um, the third blinker, if I'm not mistaken, was the um, another barrier to noticing is that we only notice things that make sense to us rather than what is actually there. So yes. I think, yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, again, we can make a parallel to language awareness for students and then just mm-hmm. general teaching awareness for us as, as instructors where we just have to keep learning because we won't notice things that we're not looking for or that we don't know exist. And we have to, like the ice dance, you know, I, okay, that score, somebody else gives them a score. It's not me. Why? If I have a supply teacher or someone else teaches my class or I'm, you know, and they're noticing things and they're, oh, your students were doing this and I'm not sure what they're referring to that's the onus is on me then to research and to look it up and yeah. to to get better and as mike talked about earlier having a noticing journal and reading and writing stuff right. down because of course when we make two decisions every 10 seconds or whatever it is uh we can't remember everything so writing it down reflecting coming back to it later is a big mm-hmm. part of this that's right and i, I think um just going back to what i said a little bit earlier the, about eap um mm-hmm. you know i think this is why like a lot of teachers who have to say a background in general English tend to struggle when they um, join like an EAP English for academic purposes program is because what um, what may have been what they may have been noticing in their general English program is, is fine but they might need to notice something different um, in say teaching an EAP writing class right, right? Mm-hmm. and um, it, as you said Andrew it's it's up to them to kind of inform themselves of, of maybe the approach to teaching EAP mm-hmm. and also to inform themselves of the discourse and the language analysis that they need so that uh, they can notice um, mm-hmm. better in their in, in both their teaching practice and then also um, how to respond to uh, their students. Mm-hmm. And it's a two-step process. Wait, the, the noticing is the first step. We have to be able to notice, and of course, not I don't want to say everything because it's impossible to notice everything, but notice key things that we're noticing and then what's the decision that once we notice this, what do we do? Because as, as we heard, she also talked about scaffolding and just because mm-hmm. we notice that our students aren't processing or aren't going through the proper steps, okay, but then what? 
So I think a lot of our inclinations as teachers, because we were in the present, because we really want to help students, is to do it for them. But obviously, that's counterproductive. So yeah. when we notice that this is happening, what's the step to actually allow the student to go through the proper process without providing them too much of the answer uh, before they get allow themselves to do that? And if, if I we... could just, just add on to that, sorry, Leo, if I could yeah. just add on to that is, is I love it because really you see this... Um, kind of dual approach to things, right? Where you're trying to arm the students with the ability to gain some sort of learner autonomy, but also at the same time, and Leo, you and I have talked about this before, this idea of teacher autonomy, right? This idea that as a teacher and as you become a better reflector and noticer, then you're more, you gain more autonomy. You're less likely to rely on a textbook. You're less likely mm-hmm. to follow this syllabus verbatim, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and really, that's a, that's a true sign of development but for both parties, really. I want to go a little deeper here and ask you guys, because um, you're talking about noticing, but what, do, what did you notice about what you noticed? That's the next step. So it's, if you think about the classroom, it's, it's a very brief moment. You need to pick up on something. A classroom is constantly busy. Students are not going to freeze and you can actually look at that scenario and be able to notice things there. So your physical location also affects your noticing. One of the things that I find that is really helpful is to teach from different um, areas in the classroom, maybe going to the back, or right. I've, I've tried sitting, sitting with my students and teaching my class, sitting with them. Um, and again, that's, that's when I think about teacher training is what matters is always what the trainer noticed, but not what the trainee has noticed. And then goes back to what you said, Mike, the idea of becoming a better noticer, becoming a more reflective practitioner. I think that's what we need to be emphasizing a little more in teacher training as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, and this is not a criticism of, of Angie's philosophy, because it's, it's, I think she would agree with this, but I think it goes back to teaching being, in some cases, isolating and independent. But I think that's that's too bad, because in this case, it's really hard to notice things on your own that you don't know that you're noticing, right? So sometimes you need another person. You need another yes. teacher to help you. To, and this is where co-observations or, or working together can be really helpful and productive because how can you notice something that you don't know that you're noticing? It's really hard. And it's easy to say <laughs> that, well, I can hard just research, <laughs> right? But if I don't know, again, if I don't know anything about ice dance... And I didn't see the judges' scores. I didn't see the nine and the seven. And in my own mind, I'm giving them both eight just because they looked the same. In my yeah. mind, I'm fine, but I don't know that I'm wrong or I don't know but, that I'm not noticing something. So co-observations, yes. I think, is really important here. Do you think that it's possible to plant the noticing, for example? And I'm, we're going back to this idea of teacher training and, and teachers in the classroom. Um, but... If I don't ask you to look for something, you won't be able to find it. But if I can say to you, listen, I want you to pay attention to how you give instructions, that will affect your noticing. Mm-hmm. So your second noticing is going to be more detailed for that reason. So when you have an idea in your head, you kind of start looking for it and you start noticing it better where you think it should be. Therefore, you're developing a little bit more of that noticing ability. What perhaps, do you, what do you guys think? perhaps, but I think Angie would say that that is observing, right? Because she said observing is when you set out to notice something specific. Mm-hmm. So noticing comes naturally yes. where you're just looking and whatever happens, happens and you notice it. But if, so when we generally do observations and, and get observed, 
usually that we're the observer is mm. looking for something specific. So I think that term is apropos. It's observing. So how do you give instructions? What is your teacher talking time? Uh-huh. Yeah. What is your? Uh, how do you give feedback? How What's you your concept present? checking, etc. Right. So that would be probably observing according to Angie's definition, right? Right. Right. But you still have to notice that. But you can't notice if you if you haven't been told what to notice. For. Yes. But then it goes back to observing. Yes. So it's. And then that's a blocker because if you're only trying to observe how you give instructions, you're probably not going to notice something else that's happening yes. as well. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, the last thing I was going to say is um, it's very difficult for us. Um, I find, especially with noticing, and, and Mike, we've talked about this in the past as well. Um, and Andrew, you're reading the laws of human nature, so you would know this. But, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so the interesting thing about noticing, or perhaps the difficult thing, is that when we notice, we tend to attach some sort of interpretation to that immediately. So in the classroom, we need to notice and we need to kind of respond immediately. It's part of our human nature, right? Uh, we remember the interpretation. We, we are emotionally, we become emotionally attached to that. So that's the difference I find. Um, I think we should start maybe with some sort of description of the event and then reflecting on that event and then um, perhaps making some sort of judgment. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that, you know, just the one thing that I've kind of uh, tried to reflect, it, uh, reflect on just in my own reading of the Daily, Daily Stoic, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like you have to kind of look at things as, as, as they are, right? Mm-hmm. So, so notice it. Um, and I think if you are, were to say break it down, break it down into a point by point, mm-hmm. um, you know, analogy, sorry, or description of what happened, right? Yeah. Um, if there was a communication breakdown, then keep asking questions. I know, Leo, this is something that you have taught me a lot about. It's that keep asking questions. You know, why? Not so much is it good or bad, but just what has happened? Why has this happened? And then, you know, perhaps why or how can I um, change this in the future? I don't know. Andrew? Yeah, I, I don't think I can add too much to that. I think I, I agree with what all you guys are saying. I, I would just say I think this is something that is not absolute. It's a skill. It's a skill building process, right? So I think it's something that we talked about habits in a previous episode. I think this is something that we can add to that list and just working on our noticing ability as a habit and it'll, you'll get better and you'll get better and you'll get better and you'll keep noticing yeah. different things and you're not going to notice the same things every class and that's okay. Uh, it's yeah. something that you should have, we should have as teachers in our every classroom routine that we, we set out to notice uh, it sounds weird to set out to notice, but that we do notice things that are happening uh, as yeah. a skill. So how can we become um, better noticers then? Um, I would say, like we said, Andrew, um, Mike, considering the nature of the barriers that we have identified that um, Angie has mentioned. Again, I think our personality is one of them for sure. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. um, our ability to make meaning, to attach interpretations to events respond immediately that's something else that is a barrier um, our physical location I find that some classrooms are are set out in a, in a way that it I think it favors a teacher-centered approach where the teacher is standing and the students are sitting and this is why I like the idea of changing your physical location and Andrew we talked about this the idea of planting ideas into your own mind or into someone that you're observing perhaps mm-hmm. any other thoughts on this I would just add being you know, open with yourself about why things might not be working in a classroom. I think sometimes as teachers, we're quick to to blame the students. You know, they're having a bad day, they're tired, 
it's Friday, Monday yeah. morning, whatever. Um, and in some cases, that's true, of course. But just being open and honest with ourselves. Why am I noticing that this isn't working? Why isn't it working? And not to criticize, but just to be reflective with yourself and yeah. you know, and looking at what could I have done differently? What can I do differently next time? And just as a, a productive practice. Yeah, and and just to add on to that, it would be, you know, that that an activity or or an approach that works in one class will chances are not work the same way um, in another class for you know because there it's a different each classroom has its own individuals its own culture and um, it's it's unrealistic to put that burden on on you as a teacher right yeah. uh, mm-hmm. stay open stay flexible yeah feed the mind feed the mind self-learning self-growth beautiful uh, becoming familiar with the unfamiliar making the classroom strange Andrew as you said <laughs> well as Angie said as I'm Angie paraphrasing said, right. <laughs> moving physically right teaching from the size and Mike you said keeping and noticing journals simple descriptions of events that have happened in the classroom again being very factual not attaching yeah. any sort of emotion or or interpretation to anything and on that note I think we've noticed that the clock is ticking here so I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there that's a good final thought Leo do you have another one or is that, is that a good one no, no, Don't it. encourage them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, big thanks uh, uh, to you guys for the roundtable today. Thanks to Dr. Angie Malderes for the interview as well. And we have one more episode, guys, in the series uh, coming up. Uh, so big thanks for listening today. And this is Teacher Talking Time. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English. Guys, sorry to interrupt, but um, actually we have to stop this because I just realized something. My audio speakers is on and I don't have my headphones plugged in, so my mic is probably picking up the background so can we start over go ahead and talk does this sound any better or uh, is it uh yeah oh right <laughs> you're good baby you're all good